Hello, I am back with part two of my conversation with Amy Beatty, mortgage broker and owner of Good Green Home Loans. We're going to be diving more into info about financing for your new build or renovation, and this is going to include some of the many factors that banks and lenders consider to determine your viability, and also the fact that banks can put black marks on postcodes or specific criteria that can really be completely outside of your control. This is all super helpful knowledge to have when you're seeking finance for your new home or renovation, especially if your site is challenging or it's in a bushfire prone area. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, pause this podcast, head back and do that now. I promise we'll be here when you get back. Otherwise, let's dive into part two now. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together, we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Welcome to season 12 of the Get It Right podcast called Rebuild and Build Better. This season includes a range of conversations with some fantastic experts and professionals, and we're diving into a range of topics related to rebuilding after bushfires, building or renovating in bushfire-prone areas, and more generally, designing and building more resilient homes. This season of the podcast has been inspired by one of our Undercover Architect course members who has over 20 years experience in disaster recovery and saw the need, given our recent summer bushfires in Australia, for a resource to help people rebuilding their homes after bushfire. He's been a great help to me in connecting me with information and people I can now share with you. You can see video versions of all of our interviews, as well as get a copy of the full transcripts, plus loads more helpful resources for your journey on the Undercover Architect website. Head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild for all the info you need to rebuild and build better. Now let's get on with the episode. Okay, before we jump into part two, let me remind you a little bit about Amy Beatty and Good Green Home Loans. Good Green Home Loans is here to help you find the right home loan at a great rate using only environmentally responsible lenders who aren't using their profit and power to support the fossil fuel industry. Amy is a mortgage broker and she believes that Australia's largest corporations have a responsibility to be leaders when it comes to protecting the environment. With their continued investment in the fossil fuel industry, they aren't there yet. And the greatest way that we can encourage change is by moving our valuable business elsewhere. And this is where Good Green Home Loans can help. When you're about to set up a potentially decades-long relationship with a lender for one of the biggest investments in your life, Amy helps you not only achieve a great outcome for your mortgage, but vote with your dollar for a future that improves the environment, reduces your carbon footprint, and she also makes a donation on your behalf to a charity or a not-for-profit organisation that's helping the environment as well. So let's hear more from Amy now. Now, in terms of purchasing land in a bushfire-prone area, what do you need to, I suppose, consider in terms of setting yourself up uh, to have a better chance with your finance? If you're looking, you know, this is a thing, like with the the recent bushfires, there's speculation that more land will be zoned as with bushfire overlays. Um, People might have been looking in an area previously in the last five years that might have had a bushfire overlay added to it. It's quite surprising some areas that are bushfire um, or do have a bushfire overlay. There'll be 
places in suburban Sydney that might be near a thin sliver of national park that then have a bushfire overlay on them that becomes a big surprise during sort of people's due diligence. How do you suggest that they set themselves up so that financing doesn't become a problem in that scenario? Yeah, it's a tricky one because um, often you're, you know, you're looking at land and you haven't even started to go down the path of then constructing on that land and that, that project itself. And if the construction project doesn't match the land um, requirements at, from a building and planning perspective, then, you've, you know, if you've gone ahead and bought the land, then you can't do what you wanted to uh, have as the final project you've you're in a tricky situation. So a very expensive caravan park. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) And I think sometimes when I'm driving around different parts of, you know, the area that I live, I'm in Melbourne, but just, you know, the Mornington Peninsula, you often see um, fences up around blocks and they've been there for a long time. And it's Mm -hmm. like, we almost got started here and then it all came to a halt. Um, so again, it's that research, research, research factor, but when it comes to buying land, it's definitely knowing and understanding the restrictions of the council and all of the overlays and anything that you can find out, you know, even if that's, whether it's heritage or cultural overlays, bushfire overlays, there's many different things that can affect whether you can do what you plan to do. So it's take your time, don't jump in because of the view from the land. Um, yeah, I guess it's a simple, it's, it sounds like a very simple answer, but that, that's it. You really need to be fully aware of all of the restrictions so that you can figure out whether you can work with them or not. Yeah. And I think too, it's that thing, the bank's going to find that out anyway, because the bank's going to do that as part of their due diligence of valuing the land. So yeah, you might as well be, be ahead of the game and, and know um, that information before you start asking for money to, to purchase it. So yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you can't think of them as two separate transactions. You know, you have to really have a pretty clear idea and, and pretty um, well-researched um, project for the build before you buy the land. Um, so, again, that, and, you know, that can be tricky because you've got a real estate agent saying, you know, I've got three buyers looking at this and it's probably going to be gone tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. It's impossible to say don't get caught up in the emotion of all of that. But um, if, if you do, there will potentially be really significant consequences. So take your time. There'll, there'll, be, there'll be plenty of land <laughs> and there'll be another one. Trust me. <laughs> I guess I probably, I say that a lot. Um, and it does feel like sometimes I'm, I'm the, the people, the person that people don't want to hear what she has to say because the news isn't all just rainbows and, um, you know, baby animals. <laughs> <laughs> just a dream killer in your part time. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I often feel like that too. When homeowners come to me and say, I want to do this and this is how much money I've got to spend on it. And it's like, those two things are a long way from each other. And yeah, yeah you do. My, I always feel that I, my, my attitude is, and I can imagine it's your experience too, is that even though you're the deliverer of bad news, you know, it's news that is much better heard early rather than another 12 or 18 months down the track when you've already, when you've invested significantly more money, effort and energy. And uh, that 
it's always possible to dream a new dream and one that actually so fits. True. I love that. <laughs> and, and one that actually fits all of the criteria rather than just, you know, just a couple. So, and yeah. the dream, the new dream that fits all the criteria often actually ends up being a better dream. So for me, it's, um, yeah, I see that time and time again, that there's always that horrible demoralizing initial moment of disappointment mm-hmm. because there's been so much banking on this working out. Um, yeah. But inevitably, once everything else gets into alignment, yeah, it always, I'd see it generally always um, create much better results in the long term. So yeah, the sooner you can get to that point of ripping off the bandaid and finding out the bad news, the better, better armed you are to not waste any more time. So (laughs) spend all your effort in the right areas or the new areas that you need to. (laughs) Definitely. Now, in terms of looking at renovating in a bushfire prone area, obviously there's going to be similar considerations, but With this, I suppose um, a lot of people would have bought houses that aren't um, up to code and as part of renovating, they need to bring the entire house up to code, which may be a bigger spend than what they initially bargained for. How do you see, I suppose, that relationship with the lender, the assessment of risk and the conversation about what the spend of the project is to get the result that's required, I suppose, from a code point of view, from a value point of view, all of those kinds of puzzle pieces coming together. Yeah. The bank still uses all of, you know, is still assessing all of the same things. So, um, you know, it's going to be about uh, the balance between how much you spend and what you'll have at the end when you've spent that money. It's going to be about, you know, uh, the the increase in the loan repayments and your comfortability with that and the impact of those hiring uh, those increased repayments on your family and your lifestyle and is that something you want to sign up for or whether you have to think about you know walking away there's there's all the same things to consider so it's it comes down to again speaking to the finance experts early so that they can help you work out what your potential hurdles will be and with those hurdles what ones you can mitigate and want to mitigate and want to therefore pursue or or what you don't um, and whether you know where you cut your losses so it's not really too much different to be honest Um, the best place to start will definitely be where you currently have your finance um, because that bank's that bank's already involved in the risk. So they'll want the, the property and the, the property to be back to being saleable and a risk-free property again sooner rather than later. So they're going, they may well, um, and, and all banks will have a level of this where they'll be willing to go and able to go outside the black and white rules that they would normally um, be bound by because this is already a property that they have a mortgage over and have some skin in the game. So in that situation, you you probably best to start with your bank um, because they're more likely to have to help ultimately. (laughs) (laughs) I think too, it's, it's what I see is really interesting with the renovating piece. It's almost, it's quite different to the building new is that there's a bit of a chicken and egg process where you're sort of looking at, okay, we've got this property, we've got this existing house, we might have X amount of equity in it. We've got capacity to extend our financing, all things being equal to, Mm -hmm. you know, why that means that we've got, you know, 
this amount of money to play with in terms of our renovation. Now we need to do a little bit of work in finding out, okay, what is the constraints on our property? What do, you know, get some, invest in some consultant help to look at what is the bushfire overlay mean? What does that mean in upgrades to our house? What does that mean in terms of what, what that money might buy us and where that money might need to go? And then is that money then enough? And does that, look like what we kind of need to get as a finished picture and it can be really tricky for people because that feels like they're actually having to spend a lot of time and make a lot of decisions and speak to a lot of people and potentially pay some professional fees to get to that point of going Mm -hmm. yes okay now we can do the thing of applying for the additional finance and and hiring the architect or hiring the designer and um, or speaking to the builder in a more formalized sense, yeah. you actually have to do a fair amount of due diligence to act to, to even get to that point, particularly when you've got a bushfire overlay and you're doing a renovation because different areas will see the work that you have to do to the existing house differently. And in some cases it may actually be more affordable for you to demolish the existing house and build a brand new house that meets code rather than you trying to up spec the existing house to the standard that it needs to be. So do you you see people sort of really struggling with those early stages of how much work do I need to do to get to the point where I'm like, why can't somebody just say yes or no to me? How much work do I need to do to suss this out? When am I doing too much research and disappearing down a rabbit hole? You know, all of that kind of early work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, from my side of things, um, it's, it's a, it's it's what the conversation always starts around how much can I borrow how much will the bank lend me um and it's a little bit risky sometimes to sort of just start there and say it's this number um only to find that you know the client takes that and literally runs with it and ends up doing you know so much more than they maybe they would if I just sort of said why don't you do your research about the costs first and then we'll work to that um so um, yeah, there's, uh, I haven't, um, personally assisted somebody in that situation where they've had damage from a bushfire and are just needing to, or wanting to get back to the house they had before or something similar, or maybe something with a few nice improvements, you know, as my, in my role, it's about talking through those, those, but we're also asking lots of questions so I can work out what type of client I'm speaking to here and whether if I tell them the number the bank is likely to say yes to, they'll just run with it and spend more than they wish they had. So um, it's a, it's a balance of all of those things too. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it must be really interesting to try and assess that at that because you're dealing with money mindsets and attitudes to money and attitudes to process and those kinds of things as, at right. the same time as I need telling a psychological somebody. exam first as well <laughs> um, just to see you know, their strengths and weaknesses <laughs> so absolutely it's uh, it's multi-layered and I'm very um I, I, the, I, I become emotionally invested in the transaction with the client too um I always do so sometimes um the more you get to know them the more invested you are as well so but i wouldn't you know i wouldn't do it any other way <laughs> yeah that's gorgeous that's the kind of broker i'd want on board too so <laughs> you want somebody who's going to celebrate with you or commiserate with you or yeah yeah, yeah. ride yeah. the highs and the lows <laughs> yeah, for sure 
in terms of, you know, what we were talking about earlier, some people may have bought land uh, that now isn't necessarily um, of the value that they might have paid for it. It might not have climbed in its value as much as they expected. It's had the bushfire overlay. They, you know, even I know some people who've owned land since pre-2009 when all of the rules were different mm-hmm. and they may, may now want to build a property on it and are now having to sort of navigate these different hoops and these different requirements than when they bought the land. What suggestions do you have for them in terms of thinking about finance and ascertaining if there's going to be a gap, I suppose, that and just avoiding that surprise of am I going to need extra cash to come up with? Um, obviously, the the research is one thing. Is there... I mean, do you, how do you suggest people sort of do that research of, of establishing value? Do you have specific recommendations for people in terms of how they kind of establish the value of their yeah. project? Yeah. Yep. Many banks will allow you to just order an upfront valuation without going down the, the finance side of the, the, the assessment side of things at all. And they might pass that valuation cost on to you if you don't proceed with something, but sometimes they don't. And so you, you'd, you'd basically be wanting to go to your broker or direct to your bank and asking if they are able to do an upfront valuation for you. Um, so you know exactly where you stand from a value point of view before you embark on your project ultimately so yeah that's that's the short answer to that one and have you seen that scenario where people have you know they've held land for some time they thought it was worth x it's not and sort of that i suppose that balance and juggle of the project planning and how to obtain the the finance that they ideally need to make that project happen Mm. um not really because it's you know, when it comes to property prices, they haven't really had many bumps, you know, in my lifetime. So land values have have been maintained uh, for the most part historically. So these little kind of blips in, in um, values have just happened so infrequently. It's, it's a really unknown space, I guess, and even more so now in the current climate. So it's one of those things, I guess, if you're, you're planning to do something with your land, you really need to be going and speaking to the experts sooner rather than later and getting valuations done because who knows what's going to happen with property prices at the moment. So finding out the number and getting the ans- th- those upfront answers to your questions early is the best advice I can give. Uh, but no, I haven't, I haven't seen that. I have, I've, I've seen the odd, you know, off the plan purchase that's come in lower than was expected when, you know, the valuation was done three years before the project finished, but it's a completely different kettle of fish. So, so no, not in relation to land. I haven't specifically had to help somebody in that situation. Um, yeah. but it's going to be more common. <laughs> yes. And I, I suppose the only scenario that I've really seen it in is where a developer may have had a large subdivision. They've sold off early blocks to individual purchases, mm-hmm. but then a builder may have come in and bought, a, you know, a section of 15 sites or something like that to do mm. a punch of home and land packages yeah. and have been given a lower price per block of land as mm-hmm. part of that deal, which has then ah. impacted the value of other sites in that yeah. development. Yeah. And, right. and so when it's come to the point of financing, that's then meant that there's been a cash gap for the individual purchaser 
expecting that they would have better equity in the land to then be able to um, refinance and, and build the property on. So it, um, and I think too, the bushfire overlay, it's interesting to say, I have not, I'm trying to think if I've seen any scenarios where it's diminished the value of a property, but oftentimes those, those uh, sites that do have bushfire overlays, they're oftentimes in areas that have either great natural resources that improve the value of the property, or they're in areas where the views or things like that may be incredible, or there's other aspects that kind of prop up the value of the property and the bushfire overlay is just a constraint to deal with with construction, but not mm. necessarily a constraint to deal with in terms of the valuation assessment. So yeah. yeah, it's quite interesting to see, but I think it is that thing of unless you've, you're constantly staying across what are the constraints and zonings on your property, it can be a nasty surprise when you go yeah. to the pointy end of kind of working through that project plan and finding out, hang on, I, this wasn't here five years ago. If you have been holding onto some land for some time, I've known people that have had land for, a decade that they bought for you know peanuts or something like that and yeah it's in some beautiful kind of remote location and it's always been the plan to build a holiday shack on it or something and yeah. and the area is full of holiday shacks and unfortunately now none of them make code and so yeah it's, um, yeah it's a very tricky scenario so yeah but again to that like the the banks all have different rules around those things some banks will wipe out an area just based on postcode and there isn't even a necessarily uh or they may maybe they won't provide you the reason why that postcode's wiped out but it might be that it's a mining area and there's it's propped up by that industry which is you know potentially not going to be a strong thing you know something that's positive anymore so speaking to a broker who knows with the breadth of banks that they've got access to that a particular bank doesn't bias based on postcode or doesn't bias based on a particular overlay and we'll look at each transaction on its own merits uh, means that with all of the banks that we've got to choose from, there's very likely to be one that can help you. So does that happen? Does it banks have got particular postcodes that they just won't offer mortgages in or particular council kind of conditions that they won't offer? Uh, where do you see that sort of, like you mentioned, the mining, is there yep. other sort of scenarios that you see that happening in? Well, you know, in, in places like the Docklands in Melbourne where there was the supply and demand factor and then also quality of builds and that type of thing meant that property prices there changed drastically, I guess, from, from the per point of purchase for lots of people to, to not far down the track. So, yeah, absolutely. And all banks generally have, or sorry, most banks generally have a tool where you can go in and plug a postcode and it will spit out it. Yes, we can talk to you or no, we can't. And you don't necessarily understand the factors behind it. And honestly, even with the mining factor, you'll, one bank will say no and five banks will say yes. And it's just about the risk appetite of the bank and, you know, whether they're balancing their overall assets and what type of assets they want I'm not talking about the property assets there. I'm talking about you as a client. If they're trying to boost their lending book, they might open their postcode ranges just simply because they want some strong borrowings overall. And the postcode is one factor, but if they're borrowers with strong financial positions, the postcode doesn't matter. So there's, like you said at the start, there's it's a cocktail of factors and 
and it's dynamic. It changes daily. Um, my inbox is just often emails from banks saying we've changed this policy or we've changed that policy or, you know, and there's so much to keep uh, abreast of. And even sometimes I won't know what bank I can find that can help you until you come to me and present your circumstance. And, and then I have to start doing the research for you. So because it just changes so often. That's fascinating. I, I picture like this kind of back end kind of room of spreadsheets with all of this data in it of yes and no's against it and, you know, wish that it was transparently available to everybody to access because yeah. actually it would be, it's, it's quite fascinating that it's, it's not just about the risk profile of that particular area, but what the bank's agenda might be in terms of its larger portfolio and its Ooh. reporting to shareholders and its, you know, balance sheets yeah. And what it might, even from a marketing position or a brand positioning, want to be seen to be doing compared to another bank like that. That's incredible. It's weird to think of all those permutations are going to impact you when you come with your individual house on an individual lot and say, hey, I need some money. Yeah. And it's like it's got to fit into this kind of data stream of, of yeses and nos in, in one bank's particular profile and, and portfolio. That's just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, um, and there are spreadsheets that exist like that. And, and, you know, when you first approached me about taking part in the podcast, I, I, you know, the first thing I did was go to some of those spreadsheets and type in bushfire and the word doesn't come up in, in the spreadsheets. So, um, you know, straight away that was saying to me, it's not a factor specifically that the banks assess risk on. You need to dig further and the further you dig, it all just comes back to that person's individual circumstances and all of the different risk factors and hopefully how many fall into the low risk category versus the, the high risk. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you could get quite despondent about that and think, well, I'm never going to be able to know all of those puzzle pieces. And then on the flip side, you can get quite made quite buoyant by it to go, okay, well, what I've got to do is just get what I can control in order and what I can impact sorted in terms of my deposit, my knowledge, my understanding. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I had a, a friend for at, when I was at university who was a complete real estate junkie. And by the time we'd all finished uni, he'd already invested into one bedroom properties whilst we were all spending our money on eating out. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll never forget him saying to me, never send a valuer in blind, Amelia. Always be, you know, fully informed about what you want that valuation to be and give them the homework you've done mm -hmm. to, to set them up to understand what you're seeking to achieve. And so every time we've had a property valued, I've done a lot of that research and real estate background information and mm -hmm. go to, you know, you go to your agent and get them to look at RP data for you and, Absolutely. you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's quite, it's quite interesting because it's such a significant asset and it's such a, and a renovation or a build is such a significant spend but so many don't know those pieces of research to do or feel like they're going to just have to pay for that extra information. But so much of this you can access through conversations with talented professionals who have your best interests at heart. Someone like you who's can just then lay out to them, okay, these are the risks. Can you see what you look like? I mean, at the end of the day, you're a number to a bank and this is what your number looks like. Yeah. What do we need to do to make your number look better and exactly. look less risky as a, as a, as an option for the bank so exactly and sadly with people directly affected by the bushfires they're not in a situation where they're dream they're dreaming about something they want in two or three years it's something they need help with now so it's it's not quite that simple on that side of things but 
Absolutely. That's, that's exactly right. There's, there's so much in your control to drive the outcome. It's just going to be a bit of time and effort and it doesn't have to be cost. Now, in terms of understanding, I suppose, the position that some people are in after the bushfires, I know from the research I've been doing with the 2009 um, Victorian fires that one of the big problems when it came to people losing their properties or suffering significant damage was that their insurance payouts ended actually just being, uh, they had their mortgages paid out in full. And speaking to people who were there at that time and working with people on the ground, this ended up being a big problem for people because whilst it seemed great to get your mortgage paid out, if you were then with no house, your block of land, you might have lost your business, lost your job, lost and didn't have then a reliable income, no bank was going to lend you money to be able to then turn around and build your new property and you've got no cash from your insurance company to get started either so how how have you seen or have you seen that this might situation be handled slightly differently in the current environment or what options there might be for people in terms of other avenues and other uh, I don't know I mean it's such a tricky thing and I'm not sure if there is anything but I suppose whether there's any alternatives for people in terms of exploring this with financing and how they explore it for their project Mm. Well, when you're talking about hypothetical situations where this hasn't happened yet, but people are trying to mitigate for it, um, for me, it, it all comes back to, you know, understanding the risks yourself, not just trying to meet the criteria of the bank, but understanding the risk criteria yourself. And sadly, it's the insurance industry that we're all kind of hinged on. But the importance of you know, we we pay a fortune to insure our cars. And in the scheme of things, what we're insuring there is so minor in the in our overall financial position. Um, and we're very, I don't know the statistics on it, but I just know from my experience that many people are not insured adequately personally, whether it's their income or their property or their life. And most people have don't really understand the fine print of their insurance policies. So that's what it comes around to for me when we're talking about hypothetically and before you've um, embarked on taking out a home loan for, 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 for your dream home is the what if this happened and what would I do about it? And if the answer is I'd be in big trouble, you need to mitigate that risk somehow. And I can't express that more but it's it's always a balance of how much that costs to you know the likelihood of it occurring but I guess in hindsight you would never say I wish I didn't have that insurance policy when you needed it so um for those people that are in situations like that where their insurance was inadequate whatever the insurance was whether it was those personal insurances or the building insurance yeah um the the industry itself, I haven't seen anything really yet in terms of the industry as a whole, finance industry as a whole, wanting to address how we're going to help people like that. So I'd probably, you know, the only thing I can suggest is that you, you've, you've got to sooner rather than later find someone that you you can trust and who has your best interests at heart to go to and begin the journey of trying to find out how to how to get back on your feet, whether that's, you know, financial counselling services are probably a really good place to start. 
but a broker would be a good place to start too. A broker with a really good heart <laughs> would be key because there will, you know, there'll almost certainly be banks who are willing to lend money to the people who are desperate to turn their circumstances around, but it will very likely be at a cost as well, a significant cost and, you know, potentially lining somebody's pockets when that isn't the right answer. So, yeah, you've just got to be really wary of the not so good people out there too. I think you've got to find someone you can trust and who you know cares. Um, and, yeah, the financial counselling services I think would be the best place to start. That's fantastic advice, Amy. I think that that thing of actually just getting people who do care in your corner can make such a critical difference to you getting the right information that you need because oftentimes you're being sort of forced to make decisions very quickly by those that don't necessarily have the best intentions. And so it is that having the wherewithal to say, no, nah, stop, I just need to, you know, find these things out and make sure that I'm protected so that you don't get yourself backed into a corner unnecessarily. And I I think it's always really interesting to see when you do speak to a broker, there's been times where we were doing projects and we thought it was going to be impossible to access funds. But when we sat down and actually sort of laid out all of the puzzle pieces that we were dealing with, then there was or there was always an avenue through it just required understanding okay there might we might have to wait to satisfy x or that might mean that we could do this as an alternative and it is you can't actually make those decisions until you've got all of the information so it's lovely to know that there's brokers like you who can help people really lay out that picture for themselves and you know a lot of the other guests that we've been bringing on as part of this rebuild and build better series who can share knowledge and expertise with people to help them make informed decisions rather than getting pushed into something that they don't want to do and then getting stuck. So one thing that came to mind when you were saying that is just that, you know, we're in my role, I often feel like culturally we clients on the other side of the desk, I guess they get excited by the yes and it isn't necessarily the best thing so it's just doing things in a really considered well thought out way speaking to many people and definitely not relying on the wrong people I guess and that can sometimes be people with great intentions that you know when I went and saw my broker he said this or she said this and so you can do this and it's not necessarily right for you so um, I think there has to be that that trust the integrity the experience and, and not to just sort of jump at the first thing you hear yes to, because that can just be fraught with danger. <laughs> so the more knowledge you can acquire before you make any big decisions on something this huge, it'll be financially almost always the, the biggest decisions you'll ever make will be to do with your, your borrowings for a home and your, your superannuation. So don't rush decisions just when you hear something you want to hear, get surround yourself with the right people and good people and get the best advice. That's so true. I see lots of people fall for hearing for the things that they want to hear. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my approach is that oftentimes you've, you've ignored, like when I've seen things go poorly for people, it's because they ignored a raft of people who told them what they needed to hear and they went with the person who told them what they wanted to hear and then ended up in a pickle. And so it is that thing of, trying to 
check the credentials, establish the criteria, really know what your priorities are personally and find alignment with experts who can support you and, um, and do demonstrate a caring kind of invested attitude in you achieving outcomes that are going to be suitable and not cripple you financially and not get you caught out. So yeah. can, I can imagine it's a huge responsibility as a broker. I saw, I saw somebody post recently in a Facebook group that their home loan, they'd been speaking to a broker who suggested that they get a personal loan to sort out their deposit to then be able to go and get their mortgage. And it was like, holy cow, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. And it's, it's like, actually the conversations you have with your broker at this point are critical for you not crippling yourself financially and not getting yourself into a lot of trouble debt wise in terms, I mean, it is that thing you must feel a, a huge amount of responsibility to, in how you advise people in this regard. Yeah, that's right. And it's a, it's a fine balance too of offending people because you sort of say, I don't think this is the right idea for these reasons. And it might be based on transaction history on their bank account, you know, um, and that can feel personal. So it's a fine art, <laughs> I think. But, um, you know, ultimately the client gets to choose what they do next. So, you know, I, I don't know, this isn't the right way to put it. You win some, you lose some. But I definitely have seen clients go somewhere else and come back around eventually. So, you know, get lots of opinions. Don't rely on one person. And if your gut instinct is that that person's the right person, challenge that too and just check. Um, check with one or two more because it's only going to be knowledge and personal growth and all of those things will help you go down the right path in the long run. <laughs> Fantastic, Amy. Thank you so much. It's been so great speaking with you and uh, you've shared all of your wisdom so generously. I really appreciate it. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Amelia. It was lovely to chat. <laughs> A huge thank you to Amy. That was such a good deep dive into financing and what you need to know. And really, when you're building or renovating, it is so worthwhile having an early conversation with a mortgage broker to discuss the options for your project and then to be able to have a framework for your future planning. I'll pop a link in the resources so that you can find Good Green Home Loans. And if you've enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please reach out to Amy and let her know. I know that she'll love to hear from you. In our next episode, David Keane from Solve My Claim will be back and he's going to take us through the key items and aspects to look at when you're actually assessing your insurance policy up front. When you're trying to decide on insurance for your home and contents, then the things that you need to check and the things you need to understand so you can make sure that you're buying the right policy for your home and contents. This is super helpful information and it's going to be a really great conversation to listen in on so that you can ensure that you're properly covered and you're managing your risk. Now, remember to head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild. We've got all that we're sharing in the Rebuild and Build Better series there. We've got the transcripts of all of our podcast episodes, transcripts of all of our videos. It's all there for you to check it out. You can bookmark it so you can keep checking back on that link as it grows as an online hub. Please share it with anybody who is rebuilding after bushfires or you know is building in a bushfire prone area uh, or anyone that is just wanting to build better and more resilient homes. This is information that's really going to help you. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time.